Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Insider Matthew Collar here, along with Kevin Cole of Unexpected Points, returning to the show as we must cover every analytical way we can the NFL draft. What is going on, Kevin? You produced a lot of great content for the Unexpected Points newsletter. You've got podcasts, you've got charts, everything going on. So we're going to break it all down. What is up, man? Yeah, yeah. We've gotten through the draft, and it's funny, one of the more popular pieces that i had coming out of the draft i did my own i called them grades they're more like ranking i mean this whole grade thing is kind of silly let's face it anyway like some people are grading on a scale from b minus to a plus is basically the entire <laughs> the entire scale and then um others you know are doing a little bit better job but we don't know what any of these things mean some people are including players that were traded for like three years ago now with late picks some people don't so I tried to be very explicit about it but I also wrote a longer piece and this is you know something that's not going to endear me to everyone out there in the space but basically saying yeah draft grading is bad generally and here's why it's bad because they're doing these things that don't really align with not only like logically how you should do it but empirically the evidence goes against a lot of what people are saying and the biggest thing is Look at these steals this team got. Oh, my God. This was my fifth highest ranked guy, and they got him at 10. So, therefore, they're the winning of the draft. And, I mean, it makes sense. These guys are like evaluators, amateur evaluators who are then saying that. But the reality is that may not align quite so well with what actually ends up happening when they're in the NFL. Yeah, let's talk about that for just a second. Because the joke, so in the media room, the joke I kept making out loud all night on uh, day two was, oh, I had that guy higher on my board. Because (laughs) my theory was that there are so many draft boards that people make and mocks that every single pick, someone could find someone's mock who is, quote, credible, whether it's, you know, Daniel Jeremiah or Dane Brugler or whoever, these people who put a ton of work all year long into the draft. But whoever you picked, one of those people is going to have your guy higher on the board than they were actually selected. So I was seeing other fan bases and other reporters from other places saying like, well, you know, this guy had him in the top 50 and he was taken at 75. So this must mean, and I'm like, I don't actually think that means anything. Uh, But, but you know, the steals, that conversation is kind of interesting though. Like what actually qualifies as a reach? What qualifies as a steal? Because if you're only calling something a reach because mock drafters had this guy ranked 175 and you took him at 104, I'm not convinced but I am convinced if someone is ranked 37th by the mock drafters and you take them in the top 10. So I, I don't know how you balance that whole thing. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, another good thing is um, these guys, they they have like 12 people in their first round grades, but yet they're getting first rounders in like the third <laughs> the third round somehow, every single team. So yeah, all, all that's a lot of fun. Um, okay, so here's what I, I tried to do. I tried to say, let's put it on a scale where we can quantify everything. And then it's not as opaque also as when you're just, or, 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 in, you know, it's, it's not as kind of nebulous as trying to just think this is good. This is bad. So I'm going to quantify everything. I'm going to look at this concept called surplus value, which is really what the draft is. The draft is cheap players. That's what you're getting. You're getting a player who's on average going to produce a certain amount of value that you would pay a lot more for if you're extending a player or if you're on free agency and their contract is locked in stone and it is very cheap, you know, second round picks, are making a couple million dollars a year. That is very, very cheap by NFL standards. So that's really it. So that's the currency that I'm looking at, whether it's trades, whether it's positional value, whether it's reaching or getting a steal, all those sorts of things. And so that's that's how I'm going to kind of quantify it is say, and, and like, like you said, if a player is being taken way earlier than you think they should be, well, there's a much bigger difference in your expected surplus value from the fourth overall pick versus the 32 overall pick than there is if someone's taken on the fourth round rather than the seventh round or something like that. So that's all I'm going to try to quantify. But it is important. I guess we'll get into some of this conceptual stuff is also looking at the research to say, does it even like, do you actually even get credit if you're drafting a player way after where they were on boards? And the, the real answer is not really at all. Yeah. And that's something that when we try to evaluate, and I guess we could say grade the draft. And I know I, I prefaced my B grades for the Vikings by saying, I understand how boring that is and uninteresting, but like I, I've always thought right after a draft, and there have been many times where I've been right. There's been many times where I've been wrong. I thought they won the draft by getting Justin Jefferson. And there were other times where I thought Brian O'Neill, I thought like, what are you doing with this pick? Who's 270 pounds as a tackle. Are you serious? And then the guy turns out to be a great player because he put on 30 pounds and he's really intelligent and all those things that, you know, who could know that um, going into the draft. But I've always thought about it in terms of, the process, what positions you were trying to address, how far you're looking down the road. Are you picking the right positions? Are you doing things that make sense? So it's such a, a difference between Quasi Adolfo Mensa's first draft and his second. And he acknowledged this, by the way, after saying he felt way more prepared. But when you take a safety guard and linebacker on a team that needed all the premium positions in 2022, it's like, even if these guys work out, I don't really like that process. But then this year, taking the wide receiver in the first round, loading up on mid-round defensive backs, some of them with some versatility that might fit into some roles. And then after that, I don't really care what you do uh, after the fifth round. Pick whoever you like. Same with UDFAs. I'm getting a lot of questions about this. What about these UDFAs? I don't know. No one ever knows. If one of them will make it. We don't know who. But the point is just that I, I think we can judge on the logic by the individual team as a way. And I know you're trying to quantify it. To me, it's much more of a sense of what they actually should have been doing and whether they accomplished it. Yeah, no, I think, you know, it doesn't have to be as rigid as this is. And I would also, even in my own personal opinions, and I do this when I write things up and I say, well, you know what, it says it's this number. Granted, it could be, but there are these other reasons you have to think about. There are things that I'm questioning within. And again, like everything's a little bit more explicit. So you can you can piece that all together in what you're doing. And I do think having 
like intuition based upon understanding of these concepts is very powerful. I don't think you even need more than that to get 95% of the way there is just to have good intuition. Even if it's a subject matter I haven't studied, I think when when I hear about something, if I hear a study with some result or or a popular opinion in some way, I'm always like, eh, my radar goes up a little bit just because of intuition that's built off of trying to understand these concepts. So I think that's important. But I also get why people are so focused on the player picks because they are the most impactful thing. You know, if you pick a good player or if you pick a bad player, that's going to make a big difference. Just what position you drafted is going to help skew the odds in your favor. And that's what I'm really measuring is how can we skew the odds in our favor? The actual picks are going to make the difference. The problem is we have to be able to separate what's impactful from what we can predict. And it's not that these teams don't know what they're doing. And maybe this is also part of like the running back discussion of running backs don't matter. It's not that running backs are all bad. It's that they're really, really good. There's lots of really, really good running backs. And all of these front offices are really, really good at player evaluation. They pour so much time and effort into it. These poor gentlemen are just reacquainting themselves with their families right about right about now after this whole season. So they're all really, really good. And you look back, the teams that are really good at drafting the last few seasons, uh, whether it's the Bucks or the Saints or the Colts in some way, you go back to what they had done the prior three years, and it's normally not so good. So we don't even have evidence that the same guys could do well. So like, we want to make the right choices. We always want to make the right choices. But what we especially want to do is what we can control, and that's skewing the odds in our favor. And that's where things like positional value, trading down, those other things help a lot, is at least giving ourselves a better chance. But by no means does an A grade by my standard mean that's going to be the best draft where I think a lot of people if they look at the prospects and the players they drafted they're very confident like oh they nailed this they're going to be in the Super Bowl and I think that's it's really basically a coin flip at that point yeah no I I totally agree and that's why I mean baked into the intuition of covering the team every day and things like that and just sort of understanding in depth what they need and what they kind of should be doing if they're going to get to where they want to go uh baked in is positional value baked in is surplus value those things that I've learned from you and Eric Eager and many other people who study all of this uh, at a great level is like kind of knowing what the miscues can be. I think that's what I look for more than anything, more than trying to say that I know this player is going to be this, that, or whatever, because what I've learned also, and, and I think it's totally fine if people scout these players and they spend a lot of time watching them and they have an opinion on them. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't, but I asked Mike Zimmer this one time, I was like, how, how do you know, Mike? Like, how do you know on draft night whether you got somebody or not or in that process? And he said, takes until the second or third week of training camp for me to know. On draft night, I think we got all great players and everything else. But by the third week of camp, when they've gone up against Everson Griffin for three straight weeks and and like, what does that guy's face look like walking out? You know what I mean? Or what what is his body language like? What is How is he catching on to all the things? I mean, Kellen Mond, there were legitimately people who had Kellen Mond with first round grades who believed that he could be a starting NFL quarterback. And the first week into training camp, it was like, nope, that ain't happening. It just yeah. was so, it was so, but, but the Vikings loved him. They compared him to Teddy Bridgewater. They were like, you know, whatever else. And so when they pick, and, and this is where I, like, you know, Makai Blackman was a reach by a lot of people's standards, but I'm like, I, I just don't know. I just don't know. Like they liked him for some reason. And, and I don't know if he's going to be good or not. Makes sense to me to pick a corner. And that's the best I can do. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm going to so uh, shout out to you for those watching. Uh, my man, Sashi Brown behind me, RIP uh, at the Browns. I remember he was being interviewed um, after his time with the Browns and he didn't mention who the player was, but I think, I think we know it was Corey Coleman that he was talking about because he said that they drafted a player in the first round and essentially, um, you know, like four days into rookie camp, the coaches are like, nope, it's done. We're, we're done with them. We're, it's like, what, what is going on here? No, I think some of that, some of that is probably true. Maybe there's also a little bit of a bias where you kind of forget the guys you were excited about who end up being awful and you remember the guys who end up being good, but there's definitely something to that. But actually I want to hit on the steals concept though, a little bit more. Cause I think it's like the most important concept for people to think about in the NFL draft. Cause again, it's very often the number one thing people are rating because even when, pe- when teams reach, I think evaluators sometimes are willing to like cut people more slack on the reaches. But when they grab the players who they love, that really gets them hot and bothered. Okay, like big time, right? So, but so the reason again, the evidence shows that if you compare a player where they went in the draft versus where their consensus big board opinion, and that mostly aligns with what people are saying, like the people who love, uh, you know, Nolan Smith going to the Eagles, it's because he was high on the consensus. Like it's not a single opinion that, that, that it's not just one opinion on that. So, when you look at that, they perform, those draft picks perform in line with their draft position. They don't perform any better than anyone else drafting any other position. But players who are taken earlier than their consensus, they do perform a little bit worse than their draft position. So there might be something there when it comes to reaching versus steals. And I think there's like a very strong logical argument here too, where you only need one team to make a mistake when you reach forward. They're the highest on that player. They could be a whole round higher than the entire rest of the NFL. We don't know. But when a player is a steal, and if a player is going 20 picks later than where you think they should go, that means probably 19 different teams said, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you. So what's the probability all of those 19 teams were wrong and this one team was so right? And I think that makes perfect logical sense as to why Like, you have to give me a reason. If this player is such a great steal, why did all these other teams mess up on it? And it can't just be they didn't see what you saw on the outside. I mean, I'm sure they're working pretty hard on the inside. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And for me, I've always just said about guys that I love who end up getting drafted way lower than expected. Welp. I guess I, I guess I was wrong. Like, I guess what I saw was not what I was supposed to be seeing because they have, I mean, think about the number of people involved in each draft decision. And this doesn't mean they're right about everything, but one thing that they are consistently right is categorizing. These are your first round picks. These are second. These are third. These are fourth. Otherwise, the graph wouldn't go straight down, right, in terms of what those guys produce throughout their careers. But an example for this year was A.T. Perry. I looked at his relative athletic score. I looked at his production in college and I looked at some of his games. I mean, not a lot, but I was just like, oh, this is guy's interesting. Maybe they'll draft. Are you him watching the, the, uh, the just bombs highlights or are you watching the, the, the game? Of, of course I'm watching the highlights, but I mean, uh, this, this is the thing. Like I, I would make no bones about this. I it could not possibly grind film on 300 <laughs> players. If I yeah. claimed I did, people should be concerned about that because there's yeah. no way that's yeah. possible. Uh, so I'll go, I'll go to the guy's YouTube and usually we'll see like every snap of a game. So right. I'll watch two or three of those. They take that's like next level. Minutes. That's pretty good. That call that qualifies. I'll give you grinder status for that. Okay. I get grinder status for that. Okay. Yeah. So I'm watching this guy. He's making great catches. He's tracking the ball. Well, and I'm like, all right, that's my guy. Third round pick, second round pick. And he ends up as a fifth. I guess I wasn't seeing it. 
or I guess they interviewed him or I guess they had him do recall stuff or I guess they tested him in some way that they knew better than me. Now, it doesn't always hit. Stefan Diggs and KJ Osborne are fifth round draft picks and the whole league passed a bunch of times. But I think when we're talking about this discussion of grading a draft, then I would say, all right, I really didn't know that 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 there was something other than what I was seeing for A.T. Perry, for example. So I think there's a lot of overconfidence that goes into this is the point. And for me, I've covered so many guys that have worked out and I've covered so many guys that bust where I just don't have that confidence. I feel like having seen him go either way. I love certain draft picks for the Vikings. Wyatt Davis, what a great pick. Wyatt Davis, he's going to, he had a first round grade from some people and then he's horrendous and never steps on the field. I just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I always say my new thing now is saying that the draft night is actually the NFL grading us. That's the NFL grading us. They're like, well, you got some bad grades. on some of these guys, we're going to give you an F on these guys who fall multiple rounds versus what they have. And the, the other logical piece of this reach versus steal argument is that the non-public information that we don't have it could be overvalued by teams i mean that's a possibility um but at the same time most of it has a much of an like an asymmetry like it's skewed towards moving players down boards rather than moving players up boards but like medicals for instance um you're kind of box checking on the upside you're not like wow this guy's acl is awesome like i'm moving him up around because he has such good acls but when a player like actually i was gonna say a player doesn't have an acl but there was one draft in the third round so maybe they're not moving down far enough this this year um but when they have a medical problem they're gonna move down a lot and we're not really gonna know about that character issues references all that stuff it can move them up somewhat it can really move them down if a bunch of people are saying this guy you know doesn't love football all that sort of stuff is a bad teammate all that that can really really move move players down so i think that's also another like very logical piece that we don't have that we should be more uh, more humility in the fact that we don't have when players fall that maybe there's a medical issue maybe there's something else out there i think stefan diggs talking about medicals he may have had a medical issue he had a lot of problems in college now it didn't end up affecting him in the pros but that could have just been you know good luck for him too that he didn't have those injury problems once he got to the nfl yeah i think he had like a lacerated kidney or something at some point that doesn't sound very good but no and and there are issues that it's amazing with some players that they just work around whatever their problem was. And Stefan Diggs was talked about as just being a slot receiver because he didn't have the biggest frame. And this is where I want to start discussing Jordan Addison here, because something that I tried to investigate and I asked Mike Tannenbaum, who's, you know, former GM, but he was, you know, a professional evaluator about the undersized wide receiver. And when I looked it up historically, the results were not great. It yes. was like, if you're under 180 pounds, it's going to be a pretty rough ride for you. If you're under five, whatever. And Quasi Dafomenta even said, we don't really know because there's never been a draft with this small of top wide receiver talents. So I wonder what, what you make of that, um, having studied uh, every element of this and, and you put out some wide receiver rankings and, and Jordan Addison was up there because I, I think that that could go either way. Like he could be a little too small to handle playing against physical corners or Kevin O'Connell could just be great at scheming him to situations where he doesn't have to deal with that. But I, I tended to lean more toward it doesn't matter that much, but I've also got some hesitation after meeting him and seeing how incredibly small he was. 
yeah, yeah, that's never a good, that's never a good sign. There's always like, you talk about training camp, seeing them. I, I have this phenomenon sometimes where you see a guy in their first NFL game, you're like, well, they look a lot bigger or smaller than I thought out there or a lot more or less physical than I thought. So that, that, that can be part of the assessment too. Um, I think it's tough because we have limited data. So this is another thing like being humility, even in, uh, I know our analytics people are sometimes saying that we're, uh, we're too arrogant and smug. I don't think so. I think it's people don't like it. Like people are fine with former football players being arrogant and smug, but people don't like it when, when we have a little bit too much confidence, but I do think there are reasons to not be even confident in some of the models we're building because we're using older data. So it, older data, different defenses are being played, uh, different schemes offensively, not only fewer wide receivers on the field at some point, but there were like much more of this dominant prototype target hog, like an Andre Johnson, a Calvin Johnson, those types of guys um, that, that were really getting it. The NFL doesn't quite work as much anymore. There's more of a distribution of passes. And in that, that means guys who are lining up as a flanker or guys who are lining up in the slot who don't have to engage as much, who are more about finding open spaces instead of winning down the field and contested catches are a bigger part of NFL offenses. So I agree. Historically, it doesn't look good. Like all else being equal, you'd rather be big than, than not as big. But we're starting to see more success for those types of players just because of the way the NFL is schemed, the way defenses are playing, and the way they're – you really need almost three functional wide receivers now at this point to have a really great offense um, rather than one person you can just target uh, to death down the field. Yeah, and I think that with what Kevin O'Connell wants to do is condense splits, guys in the slot, everybody moving around before the snap. And even last year, um, they started to do it more and more as the year went along, as they got more comfortable with the offense. And I feel like all this is advantageous. And this is another thing that goes into the steal versus the reach and all that. To me, I think fit is probably more important than steal or reach or just as important. And Jordan Addison, you just couldn't fit any better with this team. He's not asking, he's not being asked to be a number one wide receiver. Like a, he's not asked to be Kelvin Johnson or Andre Johnson, where it's just, you got to beat uh, double teams all the time. Like that's not going to be his spot. So now they have three good wide receivers. They're all pretty young. You could be part of a receiver group. This head coach just won 13 games. He could be here for a while. Like you can build all these things kind of together as you go forward. But, and, and then they pick somebody that at least from all of his reports, it's kind of uh, like understands football really well, played in multiple offenses and had success. But what, what do the kind of numbers say about Jordan Addison beyond that, beyond just, Hey, this dude is short. Like I, he at Pitt, he was incredible last year. He was pretty good. Certainly scored a lot of touchdowns. I think he had 25 touchdowns in two years. I, I was amazed by him at Pitt, and then he, I think he was good at USC. But in comparison to the other receivers who were taken around that same area, Quentin Johnston, Zay Flowers, how does he kind of stack up? Yeah, I mean, I had him rated going into the draft as – a combination of using some modeling and then, you know, a little art and science as, as the, the second best receiver behind uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. And I think how he compares is a little bit of a longer, more robust track record of production. I mean, they're all, all the top guys other than Zay Flowers were uh, early declares, which normally matters a bit more, um, although teams have become much more hip to that than that they used to be in the past because they're younger, they produce earlier. He had the great production a year before 
um, and not, not as great in his final season. We've seen that for some other guys. So I think that is a, you can use that as a little bit of a red flag, but I think that has happened to some, some other guys in the past. And the size is the problem. But then again, when I, when I just com- compared him to different prospects, and I'm not going back too far. I'm only going back to 2014 and a bunch of different advanced stats that PFF has on this data. He just happened to come up with not even using weight. He happened to come up with Devonte Smith as one of his, his top comps. I mean, I, I think Smith is a little bit somehow just as small weight wise, but maybe bigger frame wise than he is. He could probably get off of the ball a little bit better, but from a pure production standpoint, when we talk about things like how many yards per route, how efficient they were with touchdowns, how often they were going out of the slot. It was both from about 50, 50. So they can play inside and outside. They were both kind of moderate as far as their depth of target. And they were both pretty good at avoiding some tackles and, and making some plays after the catch. I think he just kind of checks all the boxes. It's really going to be this question. And that was the downside for him is, is whether or not he can get off on press coverage. But if you know how to you know scheme around that, I think it can work. So one of the criticisms, and there weren't many, uh, I thought that most Vikings fans were into this. There were not a lot of Vikings fans that wanted Will Levis. And you talk about the league passing on him. Um, I, I'm not saying that I trust Washington's front office necessarily, but there were, there were probably, I mean, how many teams that could have used the quarterback that all scouted him, including the Minnesota Vikings, including their former quarterback coach, we could all be wrong and he could be a great player. That's happened before. Jalen hurts was a second round pick and, uh, you know, had his team in the super bowl. So it, it certainly happens. Um, Tom Brady, sixth rounder, you wouldn't believe it. Uh, but uh, most of the time, most before. of the time, if, if a guy even gets past the middle of the first round, your odds plummet of that guy being a franchise quarterback. So there was a lot of acceptance of not drafting um, Will Levis at that point. But on the defensive side, the Vikings had one of the worst defenses in the league. And if you look at their roster right now, it is very hard to make a case that that won't be true again. Um, should they have looked at the defensive side, the Nolan Smith, the Deontay Banks, the Joey Porter Jr., rather than going with what I guess could be categorized as a luxury pick? I don't look at it that way, but I, I want your opinion on it. Um, I think you could make a case in the direction, but I don't think there's an obvious answer. I guess also one of the, the issues is, you know, knock on whatever you got in front of you, you know, Justin Jefferson has not had any injury problems or this or that, but you know, that wide receiver group, not only was it thin, but it was extremely fragile. When you look at the fact that if, if anything happens to Justin Jefferson, like where are you sitting at that point? So I, I just don't think the diminishing returns of adding to wide receiver are that high, honestly, right now. And um, maybe you can build around, whether it's in free agency or some other places, some of the other positions you can kind of build through moderate depth a little bit more, even on defense. Sometimes the way things come together, coaching makes a huge difference on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so I, I'm okay with all those things. I, I do want to say one thing about Will Levis, though. And um, maybe just about quarterbacks generally, I do think and I agree that their chances of success, you know, go down a lot. Um, I guess I think, though, that teams are probably too conservative when it comes to quarterbacks generally, because I don't think I'm wrong in saying that it's almost it's a fact that we just view quarterback picks in the first round so much differently than we view other picks. It's funny. I was contrasting the as a joke, like this, this uh, draft room where they drafted Anthony Richardson. They were like, Oh, you know, like, and then they drafted Jameer Gibbs and, and Detroit, they're like, Oh, you know, they're just going crazy. And one of the things that people were saying is, well, you know, if, 
if Richardson doesn't work out, they're all fired. And if Gibbs doesn't work out, no one will care. Now, his number four overall pick, so he's very high. But I think even so, if we were to say, like, if the Titans would have taken, um, if the Titans would have taken Levis at 11, where they were, and then Gibbs goes at 12, like, hey, number 11 pick the titans have been burning first round picks for like <laughs> for years now with with complete bus and no one seems to care but if that lev but if levis would have failed it would have been like the apocalypse or something um i just think people are have too much tied into the success or failure of these picks and if they go wrong it resetting it re it, it throwing off a franchise i saw someone making that argument the other day that if it goes wrong your franchise is dead and it's just like do we not see the eagles in the super bowl after carson wentz went down do we not see the rams win the super bowl after jared goff was happening do we not see the san francisco 49ers set on fire three first round picks and they're still like there's actually no evidence backing that up but i still think that is something that holds down quarterbacks probably too much um even if they only have like a 25 percent chance of being successful that might be really worth like a first mid first round pick yeah i think that's sort of the uh theoretical versus how it actually works um right yeah yeah the media cycle the press you know the the focus on it intense focus on it it's hard i agree you could say well all you have to do is block that out and then all of a sudden the owner is like (laughs) you know midway, midway through the season but yeah well, not only that, but if you draft Will Levis and he's horrible, then you lose a ton of games. So like that's yeah, the other yeah, problem yeah. too. And then no matter how you built you, t- Zach Wilson is proof of this. No matter how well you built the rest of your team, if you have a horrible quarterback, you're going to miss the playoffs. And so then your record says you miss the playoffs. It doesn't say, well, listen, everybody, they had good logic and they did this. It just says you missed the playoffs. But they survived too. That's actually another example of a team that's been able to survive a catastrophic early, early pick. And they're still alive and, you know, top, I don't know, six in Super Bowl odds this year. You're definitely speaking my language when it comes to first round picks, but that's that's why I think the odds are so much better if you're taken in the first half of the first round because yeah. that means the team has they've looked into everything you've ever done. I mean, they've gone and back and watched your peewee film at this point, and they have to be fully confident that they're going to draft you. Or Dave Gettleman can just watch one play at the Senior Bowl and pick Daniel Jones. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's or, that's true. Dave Gettleman, he's been he's been uh, he's been redeemed now. Um, well, the other thing that's funny about Levis is they said something about his toe, and I was like, this, this quarterback does he need his toe? Like, what's what's the big just a toe? Like, it's just a toe. Like, just bandage the thing up. But anyway, well, I did I did know a kid uh, who only had three toes in high school. Three? Wow. Like, well, no, my grandfather had player. four toes on one foot because he actually was born with six and they had to like the two of them were stuck together and they had to cut it off. And uh, that's horrifying. We were really getting into <laughs> that. That, that might that be was horrifying. Uh, I mean, he's a baby. You know, he doesn't know what the hell's going on. I'm chopping off toes, though, is grotesque. Actually, the guy who had three toes, I didn't want to say it, but since you said it, he lost them. I'm not kidding. In a lawnmower accident. So it was uh, terrible. Well, I could see but, yeah, that. Well, that, that, that sounds... turned out to be. You know, good basketball player and everything else. Anyway, shout shout out to Matt Winter who played basketball with me when we were little kids. Uh, Re- but Rito uh, Joe I, or something. He's got to have a nickname. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, I'm sure he didn't expect to come up on this podcast. But um, anyway, <laughs> I like where do we go from there? But yeah. the point about Will the point about Will Levis is there is a argument to say that he was not drafted that far away from the Vikings. And if you took a shot at 23, everyone would have loved it, by the way. Like every draft analyst, everyone else, they would have said, 
Wow, what a lucky break that this elite quarterback prospect dropped to the Minnesota Vikings. They got this huge steal. Here's their franchise quarterback. But at the same time, you're also, if they didn't believe in him, asking your coach to take on a guy he doesn't believe in. So it's what it's very, I, I mean, I, I'm like of two minds of it. Like, would it have made sense to take that guy? Sure, it would have. But how am I going to tell them to take someone they don't want, even though theoretically it's a good idea? Yeah, I think it's tough outside of the first year of the GM coach cycle. I mean, for instance, I, I thought, and maybe it was just the way that the board played out. Um, but I thought the Lions were not going to take a quarterback because they were in, they're in year three now, and they are the favorites. Sorry, Vikings fans, you know, yell at the, the the people in the desert, but they're the favorites to win the division this year. So, like resetting at quarterback, and again, golf is probably in that is like in the cousins ish sort of zone. You know, maybe not on the same level, but in in that same sort of zone. Like you, maybe you could upgrade over him, but you're definitely getting like a floor of performance that's competent with everything else around him. So that would have been risky. I mean, even the Raiders. You know, the Raiders were in a position where Garoppolo can he stay healthy or not? But even in year two, and once you've made investments like Devontae Adams and other stuff, it's kind of hard to really say we're going to do a hard reset right here outside of the Jalen Hurts types of picks. And maybe this is why people wait to the second round where it's like, oh, look, we found something. Now we can get rid of Carson Wentz, that sort of situation. Because not everyone's going to be like the Rams where Matthew Stafford is just going to like fall into your lap. And then you're getting rid of golf. When you draft someone in the first round, you're almost like preemptively saying we're going to move on from someone. And I guess the Chiefs did that to some degree with Alex Smith. So I'll give him credit there. I mean, it is remarkable the difference in how we view these things, though, because I mean, Hendon Hooker is not talked about at all after the draft. Like, wow, who got Hendon? It was like, I don't know who got him. Like, whatever, man. Uh, but had he been taken, even with the 32nd pick by someone, or 31st, yeah. I guess, this year, thanks, Dolphins. But like in the first night, it would have been, this is the future quarterback. They know yes. they've got their guy. And like you said, that sounds irrational, but it does matter. And the pressure is ramped up. Uh, when you draft a quarterback in the first round, that's like who you're forever tied to. Just like with Christian Ponder. I, I went through this one time with Christian Ponder. Christian Ponder didn't ruin the Vikings. Like it was frustrating to watch, but then they got Bridgewater and then they built a great roster like just a couple years later. But Rick Spielman was like forever tied to you blew that quarterback pick and that is it. And so unfortunately, like it's the world we live in. I wonder what you think of though now with the Vikings, where they stand in the NFC universe, because there are two worlds. There is the AFC and it's got like the playing of the harps from the heavens. Look at the AFC. And then this broke ass NFC over here. That's just like, dark shadows and so forth. And I think that's the best argument to say that the Vikings could be a contender in the NFC, but where, where would you place them after kind of uh, the dust has almost settled on the off season? Yeah, it's weird. After last season being uh, a little bit on the fraudulent uh, uh, argument, I mean, fraudulent meaning again, everything is like relative, right? Like people don't seem to get like the overrated underrated argument. People think someone is super underrated when they're like at their peak value, <laughs> <laughs> and then so they, because they, they, they think it means good and bad. So like, yeah, the, the Vikings were more of a middling ish sort of team and they had a really great record. Now that doesn't mean that they're really, really bad. So if anything, I think the Vikings are probably like 
underrated going into this year, as I mentioned. Um, and again, we're going to look at the, I'm going to look here and use as my frame of reference some some of the betting markets here. So the Vikings are seventh in odds, which is, you know, not in the middle, but pretty close to, to the middle of the conference after the Saints, who probably just have a better means of getting the divisional title. So maybe that's part of it after the Seahawks. And then and the Lions are even more of a step up there before we get to the Cowboys, the 49ers and the Eagles. So, like, I don't see that big of a difference between this team and the Lions. I know the Lions are like everyone's darling now coming off of last year. I don't think they're bad draft, which I think they had a bad draft is really going to affect them this season as much as maybe lowering some of their ceiling for the future years. But I guess that the relative difference between those teams I don't see nearly as much. And to put them not on par with the Bears, but in some divisional odds, they're very close to the Bears. And that really makes absolutely no sense to me, unless you're a bigger believer in Justin Fields than I am. Oh, I, I agree. And the Packers are the hardest one to figure out here. I, I think that also with the Vikings, if you're comparing them to like the Saints or something, so you got basically the same quarterback. I mean, the Spider-Man meme with Derek Carr. Yeah. Um, if, if they play each other, they might forget which quarterback belongs to which team. Um, one time, one time my two wife check was, downs on fourth down on each side, they'll just, uh, both they had to go there. <laughs> it shows up on every show. Um, one time my wife was calling a game where there was twins on a team yeah. and I think there was some Jersey issue and they had to take a technical foul because they tried to sneak the one twin to pretend she <laughs> was the other one. I forget how that went, but like that's Derek Carr and, and Kirk cousins. But anyway, uh, the Saints, because they didn't finish number one in their division, will probably have an easier schedule. And if you yeah. start looking at the schedule, then it's like, okay, wow, they're playing Mahomes, they're playing Burrow, they're playing the Eagles, they're playing the 49ers. All that stuff's going to be very difficult for them. And I don't know how much a defensive coordinator who lost Patrick Peterson, Eric Kendricks, like might lose Daniel Hunter, might lose Zedarius Smith. I'm not sure how exactly they're going to keep up, which kind of brings us to the last thing I'd love your opinion on is, now that they passed on Will Levis, they're in a very weird timeline with Kirk Cousins because he's saying, like, I don't care if I become a free agent. This will be fun. I'll get paid again after I've already made $230 million in my career. Um, but it's sort of like a now what? You know, we come out of the draft with a receiver. Great choice. Wait, now what? And I, I want to know your opinion on the now what? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to – kind of got to got to roll with the the waves i guess a little bit here and what's going to end up happening do you survive if you're this uh you know uh, quasi and o'connell if the bottom falls out a little bit maybe if you do then you're in position to draft someone if you can although there might be a lot of competition to to do that if you don't get up in the into the top two um I don't know. It, it's really just a hard position because of the cap that's being spent in it, because of the the expectations coming off of last year, because of the life cycle of a lot of the the team now, where we're still kind of coming down off of like the dominant strength of the defense for several years, but maybe not not viewed as being a hundred percent down already at this point and ready to clean out before moving back up. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a very tough spot. It's a very very tough spot and. If they felt like they had to figure something out with Cousins as far as extending it a bit further, 
I don't know. I mean, they've pushed a lot of the cap hits into void years. So there's going to be a Band-Aid rip at some point along the way. So I think it's really just going to be like, what's your alternative? Again, you could like give all this praise to the Rams for saying they knew they had to upgrade from Jared Goff and they did it. Well, it's like, well, Matthew Stafford also wanted to go there and they, they got Matthew Stafford like that. It, every team did not have that option sort of thing. So I think it's one of those It's being proactive and optimistic for figuring out how we're going to, how we're going to solve this quarterback equation. And for me, it would be probably drafting next year. You got to draft somebody. You got to draft somebody. I don't care if it's the first round or the second round, maybe even the third round. You got to start drafting some quarterbacks or even looking at some guys who people may be moving on from now since there's been some dislocations in the quarterback market to see what you can figure out. But I don't know. I think you just have to be proactive, optimistic, and um, and not closing any doors at this point. And I don't know, even for Cousins, maybe let them test you know, free agency a little bit. It is possible that the market value, if there's just, if it's, if the timing is bad and there's just not another team there, it is possible that could be your best avenue rather than trying to extend them and have that, that negotiation without that feedback. I mean, it really helped the Ravens, I think, getting some feedback from the market to say, maybe there's not as much interest out there that he was willing to just, you know, say, okay, I'll just take Jalen Hurts's deal, move a little money up front and I'll take an extra few percent a year feedback is a way to put that for sure <laughs> yeah um, feedback but, that's that's what it is what? i mean face it, a lot of people are like i'm gonna do this and you're like are you gonna are you gonna get that in the in the in the in the market i don't know i'll see well we'll see but, uh, why don't we see it test that when the collusion case happens they will use feedback from the market that's what they're gonna say see, i mean okay I'm, I'm an anti-collusion person only because i looked at these um you know mike sando at the athletic he does these these tiering pieces they never been high on Lamar. Even after his MVP season, I think it was something like 18 out of 50 evaluators had him as tier one. He's never been higher than that. So I don't know. Like, I, I do think no one wants to give him the, a guaranteed deal. But at the same point in time, the NFL has never been that high on Lamar Jackson. Now, maybe that is more of a misdiagnosis of who he is as a quarterback. But I'm not sure it's as collusion-y as, as some others. But, you know, it could be. You never know. The counterpoint is that Deshaun Watson had 20 plus women accusing him of stuff and they gave him the most money ever. So if you could play quarterback at all, I mean, Kirk Cousins was, I mean, his team was letting him go and the Vikings gave him a fully guaranteed contract. Like a lot of times if you're a quarterback, especially an MVP one, but you know, neither here nor there for this point, at least the Ravens figured out his sleep schedule. Because that was I saw something about that. I haven't heard the story. What's the problem? He plays Xbox all night long or something. What's the deal? I have no idea. That was a thing that one of the mega reporters put out there. It was like, you know, there's some real concern in the league about his sleep schedules. Like, oh come, the man won the MVP of the whole league. Okay, like please, please (laughs) be serious about catches up with you. (laughs) It does well, especially uh, uh, as we get older. Uh, But uh, he's still a youthful gentleman, so that'll be fine. But um, I think that you bring up some interesting points just about how like it is a hard position. And I think if they end up back with Kirk Cousins on an extension that it'll be it won't be hard to get people into U.S. Bank Stadium because it's great. It'll be hard for anyone in the fan base to buy into it, even people who like Cousins to buy into like this is a good idea because it's just not. I mean, when we have five years of this, it's just not enough. Uh, so I, I think that they have a plan 
to draft someone in 2024, but if they win 11 games, who are you drafting? And, and once again, you and I are talking about a team that doesn't really know what it is and has been that way for too long. So uh, your work though, through the draft, Kevin, absolutely fantastic. A must shows up in my inbox every day, unexpected points, podcasts, analytical breakdowns, Go find it. Um, just Google it. Unexpected points. Uh, it's always been a great name. And I appreciate all of your contributions to the show. We will definitely get together very soon, man. All right. Well, thanks for inviting me. I always enjoy our talks.